encourage you to turn in your pew Bibles to page 590, or if your own Bible you got with you, uh, Isaiah chapter 29, looking particularly at verses 13 and 14. The title of this message is Heart for Worship. Certainly as we've gathered for worship here, we recognize the importance of it. We set aside time on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday evening for the corporate gathering, but I do believe we spend far too little time studying what worship really is. And in doing so, in neglecting that, I believe we become confused. We become confused because we mix it up, find it all tangled up in the things of this world. Charles Spurgeon, not a contemporary of mine, uh, but one who has certainly gone before us, he said this, he said, the devil has seldom done quite as clever a thing than hinting to the church that their mission is to provide entertainment for people. And that even with a view toward winning them. The church is not in the entertainment business. Though we can certainly appreciate a beautiful song. Uh, we can appreciate uh, lovely architecture. But we need to make sure that we are not confusing entertainment with worship. Because then we, we start looking at it from a self-centered, from a, a personal perspective rather than a biblical perspective. If worship is entertainment then worshipers become an audience. And if they become the audience, then they become the focus. And if they are the focus, then what we do is we end up critiquing and reviewing, much like we would going to a restaurant or to a movie. You see, the danger, the danger, we're beginning with this danger, and then we're going to look at what the Word has to say about true worship. But the danger of entertainment... It's not about what musical instruments you use, whether we have Bernie playing a guitar, we have Sky over here playing beautifully on the piano. It's not about organs and choirs and soloists and that sort of thing. The danger is found at, at what we're aiming to do and what we are desiring to do as the people of God. Entertainment has fundamentally a different aim than worship. Entertainment is something offered to people for their amusement. And the, the focus becomes men, becomes us and not God. But worship, the focus is God and not us. And so this immediately pits it against entertainment. Worship is powerful while entertainment might be fun. Now, I'm, I'm not one to say then don't ever go see movies, don't ever watch a TV show, don't listen to good music. Yes, do those things. Do them in an edifying and a healthy way. But yes, but we need to make sure that we are equipped and prepared to come into the corporate assembly, the gathering on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, any time that we're called together for worship with an understanding of what's going on. A.W. Tozer, getting back just 50 years or so, he believed this to be true even back then. He says, church members too often want to be entertained rather than edified. Another pastor recently asked this question. He says, what if we were to take away the cool music? What if we were to take away the cushioned chairs and pews? What if all the screens were gone and the stage was not decorated? What if the air conditioning was off and the comforts were removed? Would his word still be enough for his people to come together? Hear God's word. This is the true this is the living, this is the perfect word of God. God breathes for our benefit. Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah is crying out. He is, is lamenting uh, what has become of God's people. 
and indeed the chastisement of the Lord coming upon them. The Lord said, verse 13, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and with the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does equip us for all we need. While the grass withers and the flower fades, we thank you that your word endures. May it change us today in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord said, the people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are nowhere close. I was thinking about my daddy teaching me that that very lesson when he said, it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. And that applies to to so many relationships. My wife comes and sweetly kisses me on the cheek and says, I love you. I love you too. (laughs) I said the right words, did I not? And I might be drawing near to her with my lips when she kisses me. And when I say those words, but am I truly expressing the, the feeling that I'm, I'm speaking? When we think about worship as we gather together and we start singing things like, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth is full of thy glory. As, as we sing, worthy is the Lamb. As we speak about salvation that has come to us when we did not deserve it, paid for by the one who did not deserve the chastisement of God, But his righteousness became ours. Our sin was placed on him. And we come and we say, I've got a few minutes and then I've got other things I need to do. Where are our hearts as we gather for worship? Isaiah is crying out, these people, they draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are nowhere to be found. Jesus turns around and quotes this again in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 8 and 9. He's speaking about the Pharisee, and he's getting to the root of their problems. You see, they have outward compliance. They, they, as you look, when Jesus was talking about that your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees to see the kingdom of heaven, he was placing in front of the people what they would fully see to be an impossible standard because the Pharisees outwardly, kept the jot and the tittle, the tiniest aspects of the law. They seem to be living perfect lives. But Jesus' criticism is this. It's like a whitewashed tomb, a shining white sepulcher, this this stone that is, is shining and gleaming in the sun. But when you open it up, you find in there a grave that's full of rotting dead man's bones. Jesus says in this passage, Matthew 15, he quotes Isaiah, and he says, outward you have compliance, but inward there is death. What you're doing in the outside is not matching what's on the inside. So we talk about this idea of worship. And this is what we're talking about. This idea that our hearts would draw near to God. That we would praise Him. That we would glorify Him. That we would worship Him in spirit and in truth. With hearts that are captivated. That hearts have been changed by His power. And so we ask this question though. Worship, is it really that important? Aren't there other more important things that the church needs to be about doing? Certainly evangelism is vital. Certainly service and and, and reaching out in the community and all these things are vital. Yes, they are. But let me tell you, I say that worship 
Here's my French. I paid a lot of money for Thomas to take French in high school. And, and he had to verify that what these words are right. It's a raison d'etre of the church. The reason for existence, the reason that we are, the raison d'etre of the church is to worship. The raison d'etre of the people of God is to worship. Can I prove it to you? Let me point out one, one verse just to, to make it clear. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, what is the occasion? Uh, Jesus is paused there at the well. Uh, the disciples have gone on ahead. He sits down and he pauses at the well. And there he encounters a woman. This is a Samaritan woman. We know the story. The story of the Samaritan woman had had multiple husbands. And, and we, we see this whole dealing. We see her in, in, a, in a few moments going to become a great evangelist. Sharing with all that she knew about this man who, who knew her intimately. But in their conversation, a topic comes up. Worship comes up. And, and she actually uses it as a distraction, saying, Our fathers say we worship on this mountain, and, and the Jews say we worship on this mountain. Where do we need to go to worship? And Jesus responds to this question on worship with words that we all know. He says, True worshipers will worship God how? Are you sure? Worship God how? In spirit and in truth. There we go. A little boldness, a little, little excitement here this morning. We're talking about reverent worship. We're not talking about, you know, uh, paralyzed worship. Jesus says that those who worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then He continues and He says this, For the Father seeks such to worship Him. Zaideo is the word there. It literally means to seek in order to find. It's not just wandering around like I with my car keys, not knowing if I'm going to find them or not. But it, it was seeking with the deliberate action of finding, to crave, and even to require. This is the one thing that Scripture says God seeks in the life of the children of God. It never says that He seeks evangelism. Oh, evangelism is a product of our worship. Evangelism is an extension of our worship. As we worship and praise God, we will make Him known. We will serve others. We will love them. But it comes from a heart of worship. A heart of worship. Worship is often thought of as, as acts, motions, words, gathering together, bowing, kneeling, lifting up hands, singing, praying, preaching. And, and all of these can be done without the heart's engagement. And that's the problem. That they can be hollow actions. And we can gather together and we can be exemplary worshipers, at least to the eyes of those around us. But let it never be said of us what Isaiah spoke to the children of God, saying, You draw near with your mouth. You honor me, yes, with your lips. You sing the hymns and you sing them loud. But where is your heart? What is worship? What is worship? Robert Rayburn in his book, Oh, Come Let Us Worship, a great lengthy definition. He says, worship is the activity of the new life of a believer. Yes, worship is something that only a believer can do. True worship is only something that a Christian can do. Non-Christians can't worship because they don't have a heart to worship. Now, I will say that everybody worships something. But I'm talking about biblical, God-focused, Christ-centered worship. Worship is the activity of the new life of a believer where we recognize the fullness of our triune God as he is revealed in the person and the work of Jesus that the worshiper seeks by the power of the Holy Spirit to give to God the glory, honor, and submission that he alone is due. We give God glory. Now, corporate worship. Worship 
is something that we do all the time, by the way. But we gather together in a special way for corporate worship. Gathered worship, coming together. Corporate worship is when true believers come together and we seek together to render adoration, praise, confession, intercession, thanksgiving, obedience to God and to Him alone. This is what we've gathered to do. And and we're to, to rejoice in this. We're to be excited about this. It ought to be the highlight of our week. One... Mark, that we find among Presbyterians and other denominations, but as Presbyterians, is we're not really, really, really big on, on, on all the different holidays and special seasons in the church year. Now, we acknowledge them, and I think it's very important when we look at Ascension Sunday. It's, it's a great opportunity that we recall the very real historical event as ex- given in Scripture of the Ascension of our Lord. Special seasons like that. But, but here's where our emphasis is placed, and that is that weekly... Weekly we have a celebration and that we would not view one Sunday as being greater than another. It is indeed this pinnacle, this wonderful opportunity that the people of God can come together and praise him. For he has given us a Sabbath. Our Savior says he's given us a Sabbath for us. That we might have this time set aside to praise our creator, the one who has loved us and saved us. And so we come together, our Sabbath assembly and the biblical practices of the Old and the New Testament is that, that we would, would come together. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us consider how to stir one another onto love and good deeds, that we would not neglect the gathering together as has become the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Or Psalm 95, we go in the Old Testament, that says, Come, let us, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock. Under his care. You see, this is what we do. We come together and we worship. We don't come together for a show. This is not a concert. This is not a lecture. This is, this is not simply going to preaching. It's an opportunity where we come and we praise the true and the living God who has said, our Savior, who has said, Where you have gathered, Matthew 18, two or more in my name, I am there with you. That we would worship in the presence and the reality of the salvation of Jesus Christ. There's a few things I want us to, to think about about true worship. And we're going to spend, spend some time on a couple of Sundays uh, talking about this. That we would constantly be examining our hearts. Because here's the thing. When we draw near with our mouths, when we, we sing the right notes, when we say the right words, when we respond in the right way, we stand up at the right time, we sit down at the right time, we do all these things right, we wear the right clothes, whatever we consider to be the proper way to go about worship, I believe we can fool ourselves into thinking our heart is okay before God. But we, we always need the light of God's Word and the illumination of His Spirit would call us to consider where are we. I pray that the assessment of God on my life would not be, wow, he can, he can preach, He can sing, and He does it all well. But I don't know where His heart is. In the same way, I don't want my wife to say, well, He tells me every day He loves me. He remembers our anniversary. But I don't know where His heart is. It seems to be far away. What is true worship? A few things I want us to consider here this morning. We think about what does it mean that we would draw near and worship with our hearts. First off, it, worship has to be built on biblical truth. 
We worship the God that has made Himself known in Scripture. We cannot worship the God of the Bible if we do not know the Bible of God. And if we don't know God's Word as, as He's made Himself known, we, we can't truly worship. We can't have a relationship with somebody that we don't know. We can't worship somebody. We can't worship the true and the living God if we don't know who He is. We can be worked into a frenzy. We can, we can laugh, we can be brought low, we can be manipulated with guilt, we can be played upon emotionally, and all of that without knowing God's Word. We, we'll do that. We'll go watch old Yeller and we'll cry when he shoots that dog. Spoiler alert. But that's not a spiritual thing. That, that's simply recognizing that we're emotional creatures. We can't worship God if we don't know Him. Romans 10, 17 says what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. William Still, wonderful pastor I love to read. Uh, he's, he said this, he says, The pastor of the church, worship, all of this, the church is called upon to feed the sheep, even if the sheep don't want to be fed. We're called upon to feed the sheep. The pastor of the church is not to become an entertainer of goats. Let goats entertain goats, he says, and let them do it out in goat land. You will certainly not turn goats into sheep by pandering to their goatishness. To be fed. We're to be fed upon the Word of God. In short, we read the Word in worship. We pray the Word. We sing the Word. We meditate on the Word. We preach the Word. We consider the Word. We listen to the very voice of God as He speaks to us. To the voice that would penetrate the loud clamor of the world that has us heavy laden like we heard the invitation earlier that we would see and hear and know Christ. We think about Philip as he's asked by the Greeks in John chapter 12. They said, sir, may we see Jesus. It's what we've come to do, to see him in his word as he is. A lunchtime consideration, by the way, as you think about worship on a given Sunday, and as you go home, and I know sometimes uh, you have roast pastor for lunch, Sometimes it's a bit overdone. Sometimes we, we gather and we, we think about the music, we think about the, uh, the text, we think about any number of things. But let me ask you this. How was your worship this morning affected by your time in the Word throughout this week? This past week, have you been in the Word so that when you come today that you are filled with the Word of God? Have you been affected positively because of your time Studying the Word of God each day? Have you been affected neg- neg- uh, negatively by neglecting the Word of God? And if so, then how should you begin preparing for next Sunday, even today? In the Word of God, listening, talking to God, having Him speak to you, understanding and knowing who it is who has saved you. Another thing we need to know about worship is it is done in the context of a worship filled life. In short, again, we worship always. We worship all the time. We go forth with a spirit of worship. When he talks about here that Isaiah says their hearts are far from me. You see, the location of our heart is where it lives. It's not a foreign town that we would visit once or twice a year or even once a week. It's that idea that our hearts used to being in the presence of God. And our emotions, we think about now the the Greek word in the New Testament when Jesus said it is cardia. And we think about about hearts, and some of you have had uh, surgeries and replacements and valves and pacemakers and all that kind of thing in your heart. 
Even though people that you know, have heart transplants and things like that. So we know it's not that organ. But, but the word there, the, uh, the word cardia, or as we look at the word lab in the, uh, the Hebrew, it's talking about the seat of our emotions and our passions, our understanding who we are. And, and our hearts, you see, they navigate well in worship when they're familiar with the territory. As we worship throughout the week not just once a week. Simply, when we do worship, we worship all the time. We do gather at specific times for corporate worship, but 1 Corinthians 10.31 says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And we don't say, okay, I'm done worshiping, I'll come back next week. It means as I go to work tomorrow, I do it for the glory of God. As I cut my grass, I do it for the glory of God. As I obey my parents, I do it for the glory of God. As I love my spouse, I do it that God would be praised We worship corporately, and it's enhanced by having a worship-filled life. Our worship, it also needs to be fueled by brokenness. It needs to be fueled by contrition and grief over our sin. Psalm 51 says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. That we need to recognize that we are sinners, and that we, we do business with God as we confess our sin, as we bow down before Him. Like Isaiah, as he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he says, Woe in me, I'm undone, for I'm an unclean man. I live among unclean people. I'm a sinner. Or the, the tax collector in the temple who beat his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, I am the sinner. This, this fuels us to come before God's throne. And, and what is that? He doesn't leave us there, though. In worship, He doesn't leave us there broken and guilt-ridden and heavy and burdened by our guilt. But we find ourselves forgiven. We find ourselves marked by great gratitude and joy, great hope, because the Lord has seen us, has seen our need, and He has forgiven us through the finished work of our Savior Jesus. Another thing about worship, we think about that it is in the context of a worship-filled life, that it's fueled by brokenness, but it's marked by joy of forgiveness. It's built upon biblical truth, but it's also done in the pattern of the greatest of the commandments. We come and we worship, and the two great commandments, Jesus says, are what? That we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. That sounds like worship, doesn't it? That we come and we would, in our voices, in our, in our expressions, in our motions, all of this would be to the praise of God. But let us not forget the second one. The second is like unto it. He says, love your neighbors yourself. Neglecting worship, by the way, you might think, well, I just didn't feel like going to worship today. I just, I just didn't, didn't think I'd get much out of it. And so I stayed home. Well, do you understand in doing so, you're not loving your neighbor as you ought For what great joy is it to to look next to you and to see that person that you love dearly and and to praise God with them in the assembly that we would look. uh, We think about the psalm that says, Behold how good a thing it is and how becoming well that brethren such as brethren are should come together, should dwell in unity, should worship together. We've been called upon to be a corporate gathering, to be a body. We are all parts of it. And when you're missing, something is significantly missing in the assembly. We, we recognize that we worship together and we serve one another as we worship. Can I, can I get real personal here? I don't care what you say yes or no, I'm going to do it anyway. 
How about that, that song that you just don't particularly care for? Or maybe that song you particularly love. And it's that idea that when we gather together and you're like, oh, we're singing that one again. Well, I'm just going to stand up, but I'm not going to sing. Well, there's a heart problem going on there, by the way. But know this too, you're failing to love your neighbor as you ought. As you look over there and you see that young person, that older person, singing that song that they love that you don't particularly care for, and you don't allow your voice to join in harmony and unity with them to praise God together. If you, if you just sing, said, that's too old, that's too young, that's too fast, that's too slow, that's too whatever, and it's not your favorite, look about you and, and praise God that, that you can join your voices together and you can be a blessing to someone else in participating in worship, in being here and being a part of it. That's why we see that first person plural continually. Let us worship and bow down. Let us bow before the Lord our God, our Maker. This is the body of Christ and we worship together. And one negative in this, in this, in this thing as we, as we begin to really consider what it is to, to worship. One negative about this and that is what worship is not. And, and really, the quality of your worship on Sunday morning should not be dependent on style. It should not be dependent on method, on length, on environment, on preference. We can worship in a mud hut. We can worship on a comfortable pew. We can worship in air-conditioned comfort. And we can worship in the most humid, severe conditions in, a, in an open bay in Haiti. Matthew chapter 15 Jesus actually makes a bit of a commentary on what Isaiah has written. Verse 13, uh, and Isaiah says this, Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. All right, so we see that. Jesus, when he talks about that, he says, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What What he's saying there is they have elevated traditions and preferences and likes to being equal with what God has called us to do. He has called us to love one another well. He has called us to, to worship Him in all that we do. But what do we do? We elevate our likes and our preferences up so that that becomes the degree to which we believe we worshiped or not. Isaiah calls the people away from a focus on preference or tradition, not forsaking tradition. There's, there's good tradition out there. There's, we've inherited so much. We have a rich, reformed heritage of worship, a worship that is simple and spiritual and substantial, but even that can't become an idol to us. And it, it can't be that by which we say, I did or did not worship this Sunday. In prison, under threats of death, on dirt floors or in foxholes, in crowded in homes or in the grandest of cathedrals. These are places where God's people gather together and those who draw near to them with their hearts, near to God with their hearts, do truly worship. Now, hear this. Your pastor is not trying to pass the buck. Basically saying, if you thought a worship service was not good, well, it's your own fault. No. I go home... On Sundays, some days I think, wow, hit that one out of the park. <laughs> Sometimes I'm the only one that thinks that. There's days that I, I go home so discouraged, thinking I, I desired to, to open God's Word and to feed well, and just like a mom sometimes who puts a, a burnt dish on the table, a little undercooked, not everybody's favorite, 
And it can be discouraging. I'm not trying to pass the buck and say it's, it's, it's all about this. We, 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 we want to, to have a choir that leads well, an accompanist that plays well, music that is edifying, and a sermon that feeds and equips, an order of worship that, that leads us well before the throne. But if my experience in worship is anything less than I desire, what I need to begin with is where is my heart? But let me also give you the caveat to that, the inverse to that as well. If you leave here and you think that service was outstanding, it was great, it was wonderful, again, ask yourself, why? And you say, well, boy, that pastor, I love him. He's great. He's... I hope some of you say that. But that's, that's me being, being very needy there. But, but also, if you, if you leave here or leave any worship service saying, that was, that was outstanding, that was the best worship service I've ever... Ask yourself, why do I think that? Do you understand you can be excited about the service and what you have done and your heart still be far from God? It's not simply grumbling and complaining that indicates a bad heart. It's when we, we look and say we're excited about anything other than God. You think about John the Baptist. He says, I want to decrease. I want to be out of the way that Jesus would increase. John Piper, and I'll close with this. John Piper says that, yes, we need to be satisfied in our worship. We need to be satisfied with God, but we are satisfied truly when God is glorified. And that's what I pray that we would do in our worship as we gather together. And one last bit of great hope that we'll unpack in in, in, in some time to come, and that is the idea that we see a great pattern of evangelism that happens among the worshiping community. In Acts chapter 2, we see this great doxological evangelism that happens. Worship that people would come into and they would rejoice in what they see going on and they would say, there's something different about these people. There's something that I desire there that the Lord would be at work in our worship that would draw the nations to Him. But first... Our hearts must be drawn to the God who loved us first, who saved us, and who has prepared that we would spend eternity worshiping Him. May our Sundays be a foretaste of that glorious eternity. Amen? Pray with me. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the loving rebuke of the word that calls us to examine how close our hearts are or how far away. Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus, that we would know Jesus, that we would love Jesus, that we would know your word, that we would sing it and proclaim it. Oh God, that you would look down and smile because your children rejoice in saying, in the assembly I will praise your name. Oh Lord, be with us as we go forth. May our worship continue. And may our Sabbath gatherings be that crescendo, that moment of great triumph as we come into the house of the Lord and say it is good that we are here. We praise you and we thank you that you desire and seek after our worship and that you would hear us as we praise your name. We praise you in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.